Welcome to the Kosher Terroir. I'm Simon Jacob from Jerusalem, Israel, your host for this episode. The following is a conversation with my good friend, Dr. Ralph Madeb, President and CEO of M&M Importers. He is responsible for some of the highest quality kosher wines being brought into the United States today. I've known the doc for many years, and as you might note, he affectionately calls me Zadie, which is especially funny, as we are both Svaradim. This is a remarkable peek under the covers of the dealings that transpire to bring us some of the most remarkable of kosher wines. Sit back and grab a glass of some incredible kosher wine and enjoy. Doc, it's a pleasure to have you on the Kosher Terroir podcast. It's really a pleasure. <laughs> yeah, with anything we do with you, Zepi, is a pleasure. And we're, we're, we're waiting for you back in New York. We're I know. I know, I know, I know. The only I reason know. we give you a pass is because you're in the Holy Land. <laughs> I love being in Jerusalem, so I can't, I can't complain about that. Though I, I know Kadesh Baruch Hu lives in uh, Brooklyn, so and maybe in Deal these days a little bit. So <laughs> that's, that's that's right, that's right. So, can you give me a little bit of history of how in the world did you get into wine? Ah, uh, it's a great question. Um, I have to tell you, there's a spiritual side to this, yep. and a uh, an, an actual uh, I wouldn't call it business, but I would say non-spiritual side. You know, um, when I, I used to live in Rochester, correct? Yep. Yep. I was yep. I trained in Rochester for urology. I loved it so much that I stayed there. And um, you know, I'm, I was a history major my whole life. Besides doing biology, at those days, I don't know if you can remember. You know, if you wanted to get into medicine and it was harder that, you know, you, you needed to give your firstborn and you needed to make believe that you, you know, you traveled the world. So I did history as a major to impress our our entry department. And um, I, I had just tremendous World War II history. And the funny thing is I never read about the Jewish side of it, even though obviously every Jewish boy knows. But I was in war, the machines, you know, Hitler, all the generals, like really focused on, you know, the Nazism, the philosophical rise. Uh, things of that nature. One day, my friend gives me the book by Rabbi Lau, and I I, uh, I remember when it was. It was uh, it was on Thanksgiving weekend because Friday, Black Friday, everybody wants to take off, and I basically used that operating room to my advantage. So, me and my mentor at that time was a guy named John Valvo. We would do two big kidney operations or two big operations because nobody wanted to work. Right. So, I got the book. I read the book. And I've fallen in love. I mean, I, I couldn't put my hands down. In fact, the Thursday night after Thanksgiving, we had this big meal in Rochester. You know, Lee Moore, she cooks for yep. a thousand people. She's and um, we, yeah. And so we, we, I, I couldn't, I couldn't put the book down. I forced myself to put the book down at 2 a.m. because I had to operate the next day. I usually go out after Black Friday with a lot of the guys, you know, the surgeons. I just like went home and finished the book. I was so overwhelmed by Rabbi Lau's book. I actually brought him to Rochester. Long story, and we don't have time for it. I, I brought him to Rochester. Yep. And during that time, I said to myself, wow, this is Rabbi Lau, Chief Rabbi of Israel. I got to bring the best wines. So I started to, and in Rochester, there's no real good wine. It's, it was a, it's a poor Jewish town. Uh, the, anyway, long story short, 
I went, I called Brooklyn, I called uh, France, I called all my uncles that, you know, who had wines, and I shipped from all over the world. You can't imagine, Smith Lafay, that that time the Double Cave Black was was the big Israeli wine at the yep. time, Shoresh, yep. Misty Hill. I mean, I picked out, handpicked. Can you imagine? And I had 50 people in my house for uh, a select dinner. It was a fundraiser, right? We wanted a fundraise for the shul and fundraise for his shul. And I opened all these bottles and I put them in front of him and he tells me, Boy, chick, I only drink grape juice. <laughs> so I'm like, what? I said, Rabbi, you know how much trouble I went to get all this because I thought this? He says to me, listen, for all the trouble, you should have a big bracha in the wine business, in the wine loving. And he just like this, off the cuff. We had a great weekend with him. Six, seven months later, I got a call to become one of the head doctors for Constellation. Constellation is... Uh, um, it makes Herzog looks like they're kindergarten. Okay, okay. Yeah, they're 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 on the stock they're on the stock exchange. Um, they're the largest distributors, purveyors of all French wine. They're Mondavi. They're Opus One. I mean, you, you know, they are the all of Ricard is under them. They're the largest distributor in the in the country. Um, and both Rob and Rich Sands, who I became friendly, was they were the CEOs because I was trading so a lot of their advice. You know, them and their all the senior vice presidents, um, they would come. We would have private office settings, so they didn't have to wait. And they basically, every time they would come, they has Chateau Mutan. This is <laughs> Opus One. This is, and I'm like, this is Petrus. I remember in 85 Petrus. I'm like, sorry, I can't drink this. Sorry, I can't drink this. Finally, they start asking, why can't you take these wines? So I explained to them, there's kosher, non-kosher in this one. And they slowly, they educated me about the business of wine. And I educated them about, what it takes to make kosher. And so I had all of the, I had like private tutoring in the wine business and the wine world in wine, but I didn't drink anything. I didn't drink anything until I got from Rabbi Herzog the Hetet to try to spit and things. But I got this tremendous, you know, education. It was sort of like private tutoring. You know how kids get private tutoring for the SAT or the MCATs or the LSAT? Same thing. They They sat and taught me a tremendous, and they started with connections. Wow. And that's how the non-spiritual side, so to speak, got me into the wine world. Then I called my uncle, Ben O'Salem, one of my father's best friends, and he was one of the 26 premier barrel owners with Edmund Safra at the time, with Fabrice Harari, all these very wealthy bankers, uh, businessmen from Europe who were tired of drinking terrible kosher wine. So they started Smith Lafitte, and wow. I called them. I called them, and I told uh, Beno, can, can, can I get a barrel for myself? He says, well, 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 let's try. So he called up. I think the time it was, um, it was Benjamin Uzan, the, the winemaker was Suisa at the time. And he said, look, my, uh, my godson wants a barrel. So he said, no, we can't give him the same price. You know, the, the French, thing. It's so hard to deal with. <laughs> we, can't, we can't give him the same price because you bought it two years. He goes, he didn't even ask about money. So they gave me a barrel and I sold the barrel in eight minutes. So I'm thinking to myself, <laughs> wow, what an easy business. This has to be easy. Eight minutes, you sell the bottle, put money in your pocket. And then I call him back and I said, listen, I'm sorry. I sold all 300 bottles to my friends. They're all fighting me. Can I get another 150? So he sent me another 150. So me and my partner at the time, you met him, yep. David Motovich. Yep. We, um, we said, this, this is so easy. Wow. With this. But however, if I knew now what I knew then, I would have paid double to not be in the business. <laughs> 
but well, that's that's how it happened. How Smith had... Lafitte got me in. Yeah, and that's how I. That was my foot in the door. And when I called back Constellation, they told me this is this. No, then you have this legal problem and that legal problem. So then I, I applied for a full licensure. We got vetted. They you know they, they we did all of that that paperwork. And then I got into the business. And then IDS yep. was my shoe in because they had all these French wines and they had nobody represent them. And so I started on that premise. And my volume between me and you, uh, Zadie, you know what comes here. You right. see the volume. We're the, we're, the, we're the highest premium market people. And um, my volume justified them to make more runs or more because now there's a final, uh, you know, for IDS, it was a final legal direct distribution um, because nobody wanted to deal with them and, you know, their attitude and the fact that you can't, you know, the money in, in the IDS is so small because they take all the money. So, but we won, we all, we, all I cared about is kosher wine. Um, in fact, most of my, my, all our complaints were that we drink all our profits away because we, we just, we, we love the wine. We, we drink it and we don't use it to make, we, we don't, we, it's, it's not a moneymaker. In fact, we're just pouring money in to make new labels. So that's like 40,000 feet. How I got into, I mean, there's little other knickknack stories, but that's how I got into the business. You know, I'll tell you, um, I'm, I am so impressed with the portfolio. It's like a home run selection. Every, every, um, you know, starting with the French wines, which are IDS, but there aren't, it's just about every major Bordeaux, kosher Bordeaux that I'd ever want, uh, and that I've ever drunk in the past, um, is there in the portfolio. It's just incredibly awesome everything you know whether it's Simon my my rule my yeah. rule and I, I think I've told this to you in one of our many dinners yeah if it's in my portfolio I would drink it with you there's right. not one bottle that I make that I won't drink it's it's unbelievable. it will be on my table yeah. I'm not afraid to serve it to my you know my non my non-jewish doctors everyone starting from simple German Sylvaner you know, yeah, to yeah. our Mevushal line, to other, obviously the premiums. It's just, I, I only make what I would drink. It's amazing. I'm really enjoying them. That's the reason I wanted to talk to you. But you're, you're also... Yeah, by... Yep, go ahead. Yeah, I'm sorry. Going. No, I'm saying uh, one of our issues... I, I, I hope you're drinking not, wine I, I in the background. I hope you're drinking wine. No, it's not this coffee. Is just, this is coffee. Ugh. This is coffee. But I tell you, yesterday, yesterday we had some of our boys over... You know, the boys who didn't go to deal or who, you know, stay back Monday nights to be closer to work. We went to Jonah Beebe, you know him. Yeah, and Jonah. we opened all all our, all our of the new French that just got here. I all saw that picture. I, actually, I saw yeah, that yeah. picture. Oh, yeah, that's right. You're on the I chat. I saw that, that picture. And, you know. <laughs> that was last you, night. You and your family, you know, with a couple of extra. But it was all of the family. Very yes. cool. Yeah, that's Very true. cool. So what I, one of the things that's special about you, Ralph, is that you're, um, there are people who are winemakers and they're, uh, they're very scientific and they're people who are distributors and they're very sales and they're people who are, uh, in the wine business, but I, n nobody is as comfortable to talk to people as you. Honestly, I think you're, you know, you're, 
You're phenomenal. And I think part of that is part of the reason why as much as IDS, you know, really created this portfolio for you of wines and Geshem's wines and what have you, the new wines that you're bringing in yourself that are coming out of Italy are crazy, are really crazy. And there must be some stories about convincing some of these wineries to make kosher runs, the new Falesco. What's the story there? How did you get them to bring back some of these wines? It's a great question. You know, Falesco, Falesco was, um, and, and I think you can attest to this as well. Yeah. I mean, more than anybody, you know, the, the traction of changing over from creamy Malaga yeah. to something else uh, was all French. Right. So yep. uh, you had you had um, you had local uh, sacramental wine, so to speak. You had Herzog making good California wines. You had French wines, whatever we can get. And the Italy really just took a backdrop. Italy overall took a backdrop. The, the wines were very cheap, were um, considered sacramental everywhere else in the world. And what ended up happening was they created Falesco at that time in 2005. There was three runs, if you remember, the five, right. the six, and the eight. It was handled all uh, gray market, so to speak. Uh, a lot of people fought to get the label. In fact, IDS had the 05. 06 was split between Herzog and a couple of people. And 08 was just totally up in the air. A lot of product that was lost. The 2008 wow. was a very, very big hit. It was placed in places that were not hygienic, um, were not temperature controlled. And what ended up happening is that they were very insulted because they didn't treat the Italians with the respect. And I can tell you, being in Italy three, four, five times a year, they, they'll, they'll know you all day long, all day long. No, no, we can't, we can't, we, we can't. You have them one drink with them, one espresso, one cup of coffee. You become their friend. They'll do anything to make that kosher. And it hurt them. It hurt them what happened in 2008. They lost a lot of money. A lot of the wine was sat in, in the port, uncontrolled heat. Um, and they didn't even care about the money. Cotarellas are a great family. Pierre Paolo currently is the, is the CEO the father, Ricardo, is just saving varietals, running around the world, consulting. And what happened was, uh, again, medicine came in in the, in, the, in the forefront. In the equation. I yeah. was, I, yeah, I was, I was, um, I was uh, providing care to a local Italian-American from Queens. And he told me, I see you love wine. I said, yes, you know, at that time, my Instagram, you know, he said, I saw you on Instagram. It was all wines. He goes, you know, one of my best friends is a guy by the name of Nuncio, who you met, Castaldo. I said, sounds like a real Italian to me. He goes, yes. And he's been in the wine world for 30 years. So I call him up. The guy said, hi, Nuncio. I'm, I'm, I'm the doctor of your friend, so-and-so. He says, nice to speak to you. What do you need? He says, well, I heard that you were in charge of a lot of wine. And in fact, one of the wines that you have is one of the wines that was very famous 
for the Jewish market. So he, we started talking about this. I live in Forest Hills. There's so many Jews. He's telling me I'm the Shabbos guy for the entire community. <laughs> so I told him, yes, that's us. I yep. said, I want to make this kosher again. He goes, guess what? Not only that they won't, they even have one that's not kosher. I said, what happened? He says, you know what happened? Everybody tried to get too clever. They didn't pay. They ruined the 08. By the way, that's why, Zadie, um, you find some 08s that are perfect and some of them that are Terrible. just not good because some of them were left at the port. Yeah, because of this crazy bottle variation. He goes, yes, and they made the 14, and it's still, it's still percolating, um, but we're not giving it to what happened. I said, Nunja, I'm a doctor. First of all, patient, first do no harm. We want no harm. We could try to help, but we can't cause harm by trying to help. I said, that's our golden rule. That's our ticket. I said, what I'm telling you now is the following. Whatever happened with my colleagues, they didn't pay. They didn't do anything. I'm embarrassed and is not right. And I will take full responsibility for what they did. He goes, what do you mean? He said, you know, the truth is all Jews are related. All there, and, it's, and by the way, he's a very spiritual man, Nuncio. I said, let's see, what's the problem? You're worried about payment? Tell me how much the entire 2014 vintage is. So he gives me a number, it's 10,000 bottles. I write him a check, has the full value. What do you mean? I said, this is the full value. This is how much it costs. This is how much, I know the bottle was put into production with the Hashkacha, has the full check. I met him, I said, he goes, you're serious? I said, sure, I'm serious. He's about to pick up the check, and I grab it back. He goes, ah, you see, I knew there was a catch. There's no catch. If I'm saving your project for my people, you have to save your project for your people. He goes, what do you mean? I'm going to make the 14, if, and I'm buying it outright. You can cash the check today, but I want the 2018 to be done. If you make 2018, you got a deal, and that's how we made the deal. Wow. And Nuncio... Nuncio, who was the senior vice president for Winebow, at that time, Valesco was with Winebow. Now they're with somebody else. Um, and uh, Nuncio became my consultant, full-time consultant, uh, for the last, since 2000, I would say 16. And we've been all over Italy together. He opened up 20 new wineries for me. And, uh, and, and exactly what you said, uh, Diamond, the entire... The entire development of kosher Italian premium wine is based on connections. Yeah. It's not how smart you are. It's not how it's not how uh, prestigious you are. How much sales you have in your company. If I came there with ripped pants and a seat, but Nunzio told them this guy is God, we got we have a kosher run deal. And so that's how it started. For Lasco, we bought it back kosher in 2014. They were very happy. Then we made 2018, which is released now, and uh, we had we have great connections. Nuncio introduced me to who I think you've met before, Alessandro Chilai. Yeah, which to me, which yeah. to me, talk about relationship and kosher. He is, he, first of all, he's known as the king of Tuscany. He's probably one of the most famous Tuscan winemakers um, in Italy. And so he had, he's the one who makes, when you told me about the map problem, he makes the Sicilian wine. 
Yeah. He makes the Chianti that you know with the bird, Castellare. The, yeah, Castellare is super Tuscan. Super yeah. crazy. It's crazy. Yeah. It, that's he such is a the lead wine. winemaker. Wow. Yeah, and then we and, made the Super Tuscans from Rocca de Francinello, all him. And he thanks me every day, you know, uh, uh, instead of, I'm thanking him, thank you for making your culture, thank you for, and these are award-winning wines. These are like top shelf in the Goyesha world. And he's like, thank you for giving me the opportunity to make kosher wine. Italian, I, I was actually brought up with Italians. <laughs> I, I was... I was brought up in a little town called Verona, New Jersey. <laughs> so you can imagine the Italian so you population see, there. You have a connection to, yes, you, you have, have a connection to Verona, Italy. I have an incredible connection. And when I was in Italy, I passed, I ta passed the town of Verona. I took a picture of the sign because we went up to, we went across uh, Italy, my wife and I, and we went and visited Asti. And it was uh, crazy. Uh -huh. It was just incredible, incredible to see the amount of wine they were making and that it was kosher. It was just incredible, just really special. Yeah, so. look, it, it's, a, it, it, it's very special. I mean, um, obviously, you see my, 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 um, my portfolio. We don't deal with um, These like are, the Asties of the world because they, because they do, they, do, they do great work. I mean, there's need to create another sparkling Asti Moscato wine. It, you, it, have it, 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 it's, it's, you have a Moscato in your portfolio. You have a Moscato on your portfolio. We have a dry, we have a a dry, dry Moscato that we right. made, a dry Moscato, which is like the old-fashioned dry Muscat that all the sommeliers used to drink. Um, and we made a Mabusha for the restaurant. Uh, people it didn't take off great. I'm not going to lie. Not every one of the our, That one, I think, was too academic for the people um, because they're, when you're when they, you know, if they sell it as a Moscato, they're like waiting for that sweet, sparkling, yes, yeah, you know, uh, punch at the end. And it's totally, it was bone dry. So anybody who understands real wine, they love the Moscato. It's Mabusha. We put it in. We wanted to try to push it as a white wine for alternatives. But, uh, you know, it, you know it, it, sometimes your, your love doesn't take off. Like that yeah. was my passion, but people didn't see it. So, so it wasn't the the greatest thing, but I, I have, you know, uh, the beauty about Italy, besides everything you mentioned is that first of all, you get much more for your money. Okay. There's no middleman. It's not like in Bordeaux in Bordeaux. I'm not allowed to go. If I, let's say you, Simon Jacobs own Chateau Cannon. You can't sell to me. It has to go through the negotiate of the Levin de Bordeaux for that organization. Mm -hmm. So already, there's another player in the middle. Forget the fact that if you have a Jewish player, then they're taking the majority of the profit. So a kosher wine will always, from France, always be double for the same quality than an Italian wine. So if you, if you, would, if you would take out the varieties out of play, you went to a winemaker, like analytic laboratory in UC Davies, yep. and you gave them my Pescaya Barbera, and you give them, I'm not going to talk about Smith Lafitte, but you gave them La Tour de B. And you're giving them two same styles, same winemaking capabilities. The analytics will be equal, but the Barbera will be $50 on the shelf, and the uh, La Tour will be $100. Because there's just so much more people involved till it gets to the shelf. And that's what I think is a huge beauty about Italy. Um, not to mention that we're making superstar wines. I mean, people don't realize 
Roque de Francinella is the number one super Tuscan sold in the Goisha market in the entire country. And we make it kosher. So, you know, we're, we're doing good stuff. We're, I love Italy. I love being there. And uh, the people are great. The people are warm. And you know what? I want to tell you one thing else. You know what I also noticed? When the rabbi walks into the room, any room we have, every guy in the room, the winemaker, they stand up. You know, just by habit, by natural. You know, they have such appreciation, even if they're not religious, but they have appreciation for the Pope, for the, you know, yeah, Rome, for, God. You know, for the bishop, for the cardinal, yeah. for God. Yeah. And, and so eh, this is not my faith. And maybe I'm not a religious man. And they, they get up out of respect, which to me, you know, it shows that there's still a bond. We, don't forget, we're brothers there. We come from brothers, Esav and Yaakov are brothers. So, you know, it's, it's a nice thing. I, I enjoy making wine there. I enjoy the, all the different varieties. You know, uh, you know, there are more grape varieties in Italy alone than the entire world together. They make more wine than any other country on earth. And I never knew that. Yeah. I thought France was way ahead of everybody else. They're not. Italy now makes mm -hmm. more wine than even France. France is, you know, yeah. A, yeah. A, a reasonable second, but Italy is number one in the world. So it's, it's pretty amazing okay. to they me. Have another, they have enough history. They have a great history, mm -hmm. and they have revolutionaries. You know, you take somebody like Antonori. You remember Chianti days? You yep. remember the Chianti days where they, they, they were sold it in that hay thing on the bottom? You know, those ta the, <laughs> yes. the Chianti yes, tusks? Yes, that yes, Everything yes. had to be in Chianti. You know, I, I remember the, there was a magazine. When I read his book, he wrote a book. He wrote two books uh, on Tianello and um uh, and Tsasakaya. he wrote a book about how to how to how, how he got to, to to where he is and i remember there's a cover of him standing on a mound of those chianti tusks right you know the, all the those the you know the bamboo, the bamboo tusks that, yeah, they, the chianti that they used thing. to put the bottles into yeah, yeah, and, yeah. And, and they put like a thousand of them and he's standing on top with a bottle of his in a bordeaux bottle a bordeaux bottle uh with his first uh su super tuscan so to speak um, he was a revolutionary. He didn't let them, you know, stay in the 1940s. I mean, he really wanted to push the agenda, make Chianti an international grape. He wanted to create something. And, and Italy is fraught with that. It, it, it's great. They're, they're young. They're aggressive. They don't get locked into the, into the history. Um, they want to keep it making better and they want to make more wine. Um, and by the way, I make a lot of French wine that's not IDS. I mean, Chateau Valandro, it's coming in today, by the way. Right after this meeting, I'm going to my warehouse. It should be there. We make wines at our own, but it's never the same experience. Never. Because because you still have to go through all of the negotiation. What I'm else? interested in a few of your really high – let's talk about the high-end Tuscan wines a minute, okay? The Brunello. Yeah. You have two Brunellos, don't you, coming in? Or only we one? We have three Brunellos. Three Brunellos. We oh, have, sorry. No, we have – we, you know, we have three three types of – we have two Brunellos, which right. means we have the one we make every year. And in certain years, when the vintage declares, okay, and only Montalcino – I'll, I'll give you yeah. a little bit of a history of Montalcino. Please. We make a Reserva, and, it, and it's sold as a separate bottle. Um, so we have the Brunello that's made every year. We have certain years we have Reserva. And – we have a Rosso de Montalcino, which is the third wine, 
which only ages for three years. So for Brunello to be a Brunello, it must, in a combination of bottle aging and barrel aging, depending on the place, you know, there's, it has to be at least three years in barrel, could be more, and at least two years in bottle, could be more. And Montalcino is a town, beautiful. It's like when you watch the movies and they want to show you what Italy and the Tuscan mountains are. Montalcino is where these pictures are taken. It's the most scenic, the most beautiful mountainous and vineyards and very small, very old-fashioned living. Um, Everybody knows everybody. And um, they make the greatest wines. Obviously, the premier the one that LVMH bought out was Biondo Santi. Um, so that's the prototypical. My favorite, which is on my radar, is, uh, is made by Alessandro Mori. He's a lawyer, and he makes a Brunello made under the label of Il Maronetto. Beautiful. One of the best expression of San Giovese in the whole world. Yeah. Um, very small and probably the most scenic uh, winery in the world. Like literally when you, they show you pictures of open Tuscany, that is his Point winery. Out. I'll send you a picture of me there. He was, uh, just as a quick note, Alessandro was a lawyer. His father was a very famous lawyer in Siena. He's still practicing law. And he got his, jo- his son a job in Rome to be a real estate lawyer. And he, he just couldn't imagine himself sitting behind the desk for his entire life. And every summer, the family would go and to Montalcino. They, you know, they, they built them a pool. They were wealthy, obviously. They had the winery. And they would just make wine, grow grapes, and sell their grapes. And he's like, I'm done with the office. And he picked <laughs> up his life, moved to Montalcino, yep. and he created the, this brand. Sort of what I probably want to do with prostates. I'm done you know, operating on prostates. This is what I'm going to do. But yeah. he, he, has, he has probably the most fascinating story, fascinating wine. Um, and, 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 and so I visited them all. And then fa- finally, I we went to the ones that we're making, uh, made by Fabio Tassi. Yep. Fabio Tassi, his uh, family is 100 years, if not more, uh, owns the center square of Montalcino. In fact, you know, Montalcino is the, between Siena and Pisa, and they're always fighting. Montalcino was a respite town, and they have, um, they had, um, they had uh, castles to protect them from the warring. And so he owns the castle in there. There's a, a butcher shop. You see all the, the bruschetto hanging, and you see, you know, and he has probably the, one of the largest wine shops in the world. So Fabio became very good friends with Joey Sitt. Um, wow. Joey Sitt, uh, you know who Joey Thor yeah, Equity yeah. is, my partner in this wine. He basically went to Castiglione del Bosco, which is a hospitality place in a vineyard, very small vineyard. Um, and he tried to convince them to do kosher. And they said, Joe, we love you. We know you stay here. You know, <laughs> and he has a big flair. He, he lands on the vineyard in a helicopter, you know. But sorry, we can't do it. So the export manager comes over to him. His name is Roberto Rashito, and he tells him, Joe, I want you to meet Fabio Tassi. You're talking about in the year of 2000, I would say, 15. So we just started this business. So in 2015, he flies 
falls in love with Montalcino. He meets Fabio Tassi. Fabio Tassi says, I'm going to make your kosher. So he asks Fabio Tassi, he goes, look, I am uh, Fabio Tassi. This is my family. Franchi is my high-end Brunello. Tassi is my second. And then we make an aqua bona, which is our Rosso yeah. de Montalcino. And, um, and they hit it off. And they made the wine. But Joey said he's a real estate guy. has no idea about wine. So his lawyer, Morris Mystery, was a good friend of mine, whose son happened to pass away. So I've been was more friendly with him then. May his soul rest in peace. And uh, he called me. He says, I need you to save this project. Joey doesn't know what he's doing. Because, um, they, they, you know, look, it's very easy to just pay for wine. But it's difficult to understand the process, the laws, the cola labels, you know, how, how, how it comes in. There's enormous amounts of details. Yeah, yeah there's an enormous so amount of details. So me and Joey sat down. We, yeah. We, yeah, yeah. So we hammered it out. We hammered it out. We spoke. And, um, and we made the wine. And I had a lot of conditions. My conditions was I wanted to see if they're really up to it. Now, I knew they give grapes to Biondo Santi. I know they gave grapes to... Um, all this, all people in those area because Fabio was just launching his own label. Right. So we took our, so he gave us one vineyard and we call that the Bettina vineyard because that vineyard is his wife's name, Betty Sit, Bettina in Italian. That's and the he Bettina. has the other vineyards that he names, yeah, that's Bettina that's, Cuvée because it's named after Betty Sit. Wow. And, and Betty Sit's a big philanthropist. She does all the chesed in our, you know, for the women in our community. So it was, it was very appropriate. And his other vineyards, he named them, he also names them. Colombo is after his grandfather from the mother's side. He has Giuseppe Vineyard for his, on his father's side. You know, so it, it was something that was natural. Well, we submitted them into a blind tasting, blind to James Suckling, Parker, like the top guys. And the kosher vineyard got higher score, blindly, got higher scores than the non-kosher. Parker gave it a 96 and Suckling gave it a 95, or vice versa. Suckling gave it 96, Parker gave it 95, and and the and then the non-kosher got one point less. And the Reserva got a 99 points. Wow. Wow. So it, it's a it's a great love story. We love it over there. It's so beautiful. We go there and, and the wines. But there are a lot of rules. Um, Simon, they're not idiots. For example, you cannot release it before five years. Another rule... For example, take the Rosso. The Rosso de Montalcino was a way that Montalcino town tried to make a cheaper wine. Everybody knows that Montalcino in Italy commands the highest respect and the highest amount of money. Well, we're talking about Goisha world now. So yes. they're like, well, nobody can enjoy it. So they made a less, they made a, a lower line that it only ages three years, not to five years. And um, and that they need to have. You can blend um, into it, and that you can. It's, you it's can like a, it's a, a super Tuscan, isn't blend. it? Yeah, it's it's considered super Tuscan, Tuscan correct? Yes. Uh, but they but they but they call it Rosso de Montalcino, okay. so they don't call it a classic super Tuscan um, because they always hit the Mount of San Giovese. Now, okay. we, you can only sell it between thirty and fifty euro. Well. Our mashkiach costs 30 euros. <laughs> so it's, we, were never, we were never able to sit. And in fact, if you look at our Rosso de Montalcino, 
it's actually labeled IGT, which means undesignated, so to speak, like all the wines that are not in the categories. Why? Because we can't sit into their, we can't sit into their price structure. But Montalcino is so strict that even the price structure, even the price structure, they take, they, they, they take charge of. So once you write it IGT, you could sell whatever you want. Right, you could right. sell for a dollar. You could sell for $2,000 right. because it's not in the designation. Even though not only is it a Rosso, it's a baby Brunello because our Aquabona is made exactly like the Brunello because we don't have enough infrastructure. Remember, we're in their winery. We're doing this in their home. So we don't have enough infrastructure to not use other grapes. Doing. Yeah, to not do exactly to, what to they're doing. Do. So we yeah. do. So so basically, we make a Brunello, and after three years, we bottle it, and that's our Rosso, quote unquote. But you see, they want to do it. They don't. They don't. They don't harass you. Why do you have to do it this way? This is how much yeah, cost. We didn't fit in, and this is what we do. But it's a beautiful way to get a price a Brunello, uh, a baby Brunello, at, at a quarter of the price. It's much cheaper than what a full Brunello will cost. But the Montalcino is a beautiful place to visit. And I, we send, you know, Judith, my cousin Romano, who does all the touring in uh, in, yes. in Milan, yeah, out of Milan. Yeah, she yes. sets up. Yeah. yeah, she sends people to 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 Montalcino all the time. I Very did. impressive winery. All right, I want to go over a little mm-hmm. bit. Um, there's a couple of other wines I want to talk to you about. Yes. So Santa Paolo, Santa Paolo is made by Claudio Quarta. Okay. And it is a non-typical. This is the key word here. It's Alianico. Alianico is the name of the grape. Alianico. Yes. Yes. So Alianico is the name of the grape that is Southern Italy. So if you go to California, you have California Cabernet and California Chardonnay. Yeah, people will dabble with Zinfandel in certain areas. But when you look at a textbook and you look at planting per acre, Cabernet is one, Chardonnay is two. Southern Italy is Alianico and Falangina for the white. And some Fiano. Do they have other varieties? Absolutely. Number one planted is Falangina for the white, and the red is Alianico. And you can imagine how much you can do with Cabernet, meaning there's tremendous amount of variations you could do with Cabernet. Heaven's sake, take a look at Jeunesse, the sweetest Cabernet you can even think of. And then they make... Stag's Leap single vineyard, you know, so Cabernet, very versatile. Same thing with Alianico. Just like in Piemonte, where we have our Barolo region, everything is Nebbiolo, right? So Barbaresco is Nebbiolo, um, Barolo is Nebbiolo, um, there's a Lange Nebbiolo that's, that's aged only one year. So every region in Italy has their king and queen grape. And so in the southern part, um, Alianico is the number one red grape. Falangina probably, although they have Greco de Tufo and they have Fiano, which is other white grapes, they're not as popular as those. Now, besides that introduction, there's another introduction you have to know. There's certain areas that are very famous. Irpina, which is the Sena Paolo, and Tarauzi, which is right next to it, are very volcanous and um, terroir-driven wines. So you'll get a lot of what people might say is reductive notes, you know, like burnt uh, people. People will say, oh, this wine is reduced. It's not. It's more of that's the volcanic soil that you have there. And 
Um, and so to put on top of it, the Irpina Elianico, which is the one you mentioned, San yep. Paolo, yep. is a totally different wine. In fact, Fruit Notes takes a back seat to Earth Notes. And, and, it, and it's probably, and I can tell you two wines that I know in the history of kosher winemaking, and both of them are ours that do that. It's not because we're special. It's because the, it's the Earth. The Nero de Avila from Sicily yeah. and the Sena Paolo Irpina, where if you open it, you're smelling jasmine, you're smelling lavender, you're smelling, you know, you know, grass. It is a total herbal bouquet that takes that takes the that takes the taste, takes the aroma. It's all of these senses are opening that way where fruit takes a back door. The beauty about Alianico is cheap. So that wine costs anywhere between twenty and thirty dollars, depending on the sale. Because it's a high end, well made by an excellent vinter, Claudio Quarta. It just in full discretion, I didn't commission the wine. Full disclosure. To disclose it really yeah. Joel Bernstein did it. Wow. And um and he saw that I was I was already coming there, right? Because when you come to Campania, there's only two people making kosher wine. So he heard about me. I heard about him. He told me, take it. And I said, no problem. Because from there, we actually went to two wineries. The first winery is Mastro Berendino, which is probably the one of the oldest. He has a museum on his property. One of the oldest and probably one of the smartest winemakers in the entire world. He uh, controls Southern Italy. He's a professor at the university. And we tried to make it for him, but there were legal restrictions for the rabbis, their unions, so we couldn't get in. Because Master Benendino is a, it's a big name. It's like you saying, I want to work for Walmart. You know, you right. can't just walk in and say, hey, I'm here for a job. As opposed to coming into a King's Highway mom and pop shop says, you have any work for me? You understand? Master Benendino is it's a huge syndicate. It's part of the university. So... We, had, we couldn't get around it, but they told me about Faudi San Gregorio, which is the number two winery in all of Campania. There are a lot of little ones, but they're rain from Capalda, which is a famous family from Rome. Um, maybe even Jewish origins, when we're still looking into it. And they loved the project. There was uh, Joel and Yossi Horowitz did do one small run when they did their test run to see if they could do kosher but that was a little private label. And we just released the first commercial Falangina and the Rubrato. Rubrato is the entry-level Alianico, and it's next door to where they make the one you asked me about, Irpina. Wow. We are making an Irpina, we're making a Serpico, and we're making their flagship wine. It's called Piano de Montevergine, which um, is their aged Alianico, where the oak will soften the Alianico is a hard grape, uh, Zadie. It's not, it, it's like cab, it's big, it's bold. It, it lasts for 60, 70 years. Wow. Like it doesn't peak for 30 years. It's a, it's a huge, it's a huge um, uh, acidic, big, bold, and the aging potential is just tremendous. So it's very nice. You know what I love about it is I can jump over to the Malfi Coast to hang out in, Santa Marina, 
I can you Positano, and then I drive to the winery 30, 40 minutes, and we get a beautiful expression of what Southern Italy was, like literally in the times of the you know Romans and in the times of and there was a lot of wars in Southern Italy, so there's crazy history. Um, and we did Fadi Singagorio. It just got released. It's here. We have a an entry level white, an entry level red between $20 and $30. It's beautiful wine. The Felangina is the typical expression of Felangina. So it's uh, it's beautiful. Yannico, people have to get used to the notes, but once they do, they love it. It's a barbecue wine. It's not expensive. It's, it's, it's a also approachable. Isn't it approachable? Really Very approachable. approachable. Yeah. It's, and, and I'll tell you one other thing. That. For the yeah. Israeli drinkers, yeah. for the Israeli drinkers, it's very good for them. It's very, they like it a lot. And the reason is, is that Israel has become dominant by hot, you know, high sugar, high alcohol volume um, because of the nature of Israel. I mean, it's hot. It's, there's a lot of sunlight. They harvest the first in the world. And um, Southern Italy is not so far off. It's still Mediterranean, a little more temperate, but they 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 say they 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 share very similar characteristics, and so therefore, a lot of our Israeli drinkers love to drink Italian wines to move them over. Um, and then we started with them. We started with Fadi Dense Gregorio, beautiful. We made all the levels. There's a new rosé coming out called Visione, which doesn't even drink better until the second year. That's how powerful it is. Remember, you it's. It's the grape that you're dealing with. So, yep. so we're, 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 we're excited. And then uh, we went to another guy, to Masseria Fratazi, who is uh, the third winery down there we dealt with. Masseria Fratazi is basically the king of Southern media. His family owned all the newspapers of Southern Italy. You know, uh, Zeddy, this, the Northern Italians and the Southern Italians. Totally Italian different people. Yeah, no. Yeah. <laughs> one yeah, works so they, and one drinks. You know, they're like, That's yeah, yeah, <laughs> one right. works and, and one like, And not only yeah. everything, pasta was made in Southern Italy. Yeah. Wine was made in Southern Italy. They're just bastards. They just they just <laughs> copy everything we do. You know, it's so fun hanging out with them. And Masri Frattazzi is, uh, is, is on the Tabur Mountain. Funny how they call it Tabur now. Which wow. is very similar to Har Tabor, yeah, and it looks like Har Tabor. Wow. So they they feel that there's a lot of connections with Israel there. In fact, there are old archaeological digs with a lot of Jewish remnants uh, in history down there, um, and it's all dry irrigation. It's on the mountain. Uh, the University of Salerno, which is the southern university, yep, yep. says that they have the oldest living wine um, rootstock and and um, and uh, vineyard, the, the vines are the oldest of southern Italy. So it's a it's specially guarded by them, and it's all dry irrigation. It's on the mountain. They use zero water, and we made. Uh, you drank it. You know the Dana Laura. Yeah. Yeah. That, yeah. 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 Um, yes. Yes. That that that, that Jay Booksbound loved. Yes. Yes. That is yes. one. That is that is the oaked version of Falangina from that mountain. And so again, we we're, we're we're doing it. We're making we're making everything we can to be very authentic. In fact, you know what amarone is when they dry the grapes, and yeah. then they make it into like sort of raisins, and then they press it, and then they mix it with regular wine. That's called amarone. Yeah. They make their own version of that in the south. So, so basically, you know what we my philosophy is, we go. We do what they do best. We do whatever they, whatever 
whatever we would drink. And that's where we're at. That's where we're at with it. And that's where we're at. And this Southern Italy is a totally different animal, um, totally different than Chianti in the region, the Tuscan region, which is, which is uh, driven by San Giovese. So you're going to get a more seductive, you're going to get a more elegant, refined. It's not big. It's not bold. Look at the colors. The Southern uh, grapes, they're big, red, velvet, dark, you know, crimson or violet, purple, where if you open a Chianti, even the best Chianti, which we make, is called Sodi di Senicolo, the highest part of the mountain um, in Castellina. It gets 19 uh, perfect points by Parker in every 20 years, like maybe one year off, called Sodi di Senicolo, and it's Garnet. It's light. It's Garnet. It's see-through. You'll never get that big, bold Cabernet. That's what it does. Um, so every region has different grape varieties. People try to compare them, which you can't. It's an old world. Remember, Italy was 11 states at one point, 11 different countries. So you, we can't lump them and say, oh, all the Italian wines are the same. They're totally different animals. No, they're, they are very, very, very different. The, I'm, I'm, the whites are also, the whites are also awesome. The Arnez. Oh, the Arnez, Northern Italy. So now no, you're in a different region. No, so I know that. I went Italy. north, but yeah. the Arnez is just, yeah. it. that was one of the first things that just blew my mind. And because I tasted and that, the, the 19 the and then I tasted the made. 20th. Yeah, I tasted the 19 and then yeah. I tasted the 20. And, um, and it was just, the, the 19 was just, over the top, and the twenty was even, even crazier. So it's just beautiful. Even bad, yeah, beautiful. you know, you 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 picked on you picked on a, a on a great producer to speak about. Pescaya, Pescaya is the producer who makes that arnes. Right. Um, his name is Beppe Pescaya. That's his name. He's in the northwest corridor of Piemonte. In fact, his only problem in life is that his winery is literally ten kilometers outside the commune of Barolo. <laughs> Meaning when Barolo made their designation, he didn't fit into that thing. That's where he was born. That's where he was raised. And he makes some of the best expressive Nebbiolo possible. The problem is, is that it's not called Barolo because he's not in the region. Right. Well, that's a problem for him. For us, it's, it's the great. best thing that ever happened because it kept the price at a quarter of the price. And Beppe Pescaya is such a perfectionist, and he's so meticulous. I tell you, Zadie, I can operate on the floor of his winery. He is crazy about cleanliness, crazy about technology. He, he basically has ruled his entire – he's not – you know, every time there's a new machine, machines that he's patented and developed for farming, he is a genius. And his wines are so meticulously made. I mean, he, he waits days between his Nebbiolo and his Barbera just to make sure there's no cross-transference of taste. I mean, it's credible. And, he, and in that area of the world, Arnes is the white wine. So you, the, the, the reds are dominated by Barbera, yeah. Nebbiolo, and the white wine is Arnes. There are many different clones of Arnes. Arnes is a very old grape that actually in the 40s and 50s was used to dilute the Nebbiolo. <laughs> the Nebbiolo in the old-fashioned Conterno or all these, you know, um, older producers, 
was a very heavy, weighted down. And what they would do is dilute the Barolo up to up to 15% was legal with Arnes. Until the new age guy said, this is crazy. Arnes is literally like the Italian sincere. Yeah. It's, it's profile. It's, it's all Sauvignon so Blanc. Delicious. <laughs> it's yes, so crazy. It's delicious. It's light. It's yeah, fruity. It's fruity. It's key lime, Soup. honeydew. It's fruity. Yeah. Sweet grape. You drink it. It's not yeah. too weighty. It doesn't have high it doesn't have high alcohol content. And so yeah. people loved it. In fact, there was a another gentleman called Italo Stupino, who unfortunately just passed away from thyroid cancer. I met him about a year ago, makes one of the best, best in the world, Barbaresco. It makes okay. it, Sente Stefano is the name of the winery, uh, of the, I mean, of the cuvee on that winery. Um, and I fell in love, and he basically has done research for the last 50 years on the different clones of Arnes. We look at Arnes as one, there's 50 different clones, and what a great guy, had a little dog like the size of a puppy, and uh <laughs> We had a great time in his in vineyard, but you see that you know we drink something. There's people's their whole life he was studying Arnes, but Arnes is literally the Sauvignon Blanc of the north. It's uh, it drinks like that, and it really put us on the map for Italy. I got to tell you, Pescaia Arnes put people's mind. Wow, you can make beautiful. And guess what? Twenty four dollars. Yeah, twenty four dollars at full retail. Full right. retail. Do you know what that means? And, and it, it just, it was so great. And from there, we started to make his Nebbiolo. We started to make his Barbera. And he has a, he has a red wine called Piccarelli, which is seven-year-aged Nebbiolo, which means a year more than the average Barolo, which he does on purpose to show how he dominates uh, the winemaking of Barolo, which should be ready hopefully in two or three years. So uh, Pescaya is our king of the north, of our northwest um, northeast, we do, and uh, you mentioned Verona, we do make an Amarone with a very famous person named Armando Fumanelli. 28 generations of winemaking. His son now is going into it and loves Israel. He spends a lot of time in Israel. Also, very grateful we did it. We made by him a Chardonnay, which would be released first. We make the real Amarone, which takes five years to age. And then we made uh, what, what we, same thing like Montalcino. They have a Rosso. They make a Repasso, which is three years age, called Scorano. And we're making that as well. That mm. I'm very excited for. Um, it's going to be a huge, huge success. And it's a real authentic. Where 20, there's a Roman temple on their property. It's historic to go to, to, um, it's historic to go to their to their winery, and um, they've been can, very good to us. We do. A, I can tell you're a history nut. I can tell how yeah, important yeah. The history yeah. is to you because you know th that's part of it. It's um, very few people really get into it. They they taste the wine and they can describe it and they go through it and what have you, but they don't know the history and everything that goes into it. That's one of the main reasons I really wanted to talk to you because it's, there's so much background that goes into um, the wines that you bring, uh, bring out to the world. And it's, it's important that people know that it's, it's really. Uh, I think that if you really want to understand wine, yeah. you have to know where it came from. You yeah. have to feel the earth. 
You have to understand what the earth is bringing. You have to understand what the family is bringing. It's all part of it. it, it it's what sells. It sells the wine itself. Yeah, anybody can describe blackberry this, that, papa has graphite and lead pencil shaving. But it's not, you want to feel the wine, you got to know the place. I mean, I know everybody can't just get up and go to Italy. I'm, I'm blessed. Hashem, is, Hashem blessed me. Okay, I'm not going to lie. Um, we, do, we did a lot of, we did a lot of thing. I, I, I try to make it a Kiddush Hashem wherever I go. Um, I know. Uh, you know. I know I, you. I, I know you. I, I, You're I, really I, awesome. <laughs> you know, I, I look at it. I look at it as this is for our people. I don't look at this is not for Ralph Madab. This is not. Look at this for our people. We represent our people. I don't. You know, it killed me when Falesco didn't want to make kosher because of a financial ruin that they fought over. So I took my money. I took it out of my pocket. I didn't even have a business then. I gave the guy a check for hundred thousand dollars. He goes, "This is for this is for a kiddush Hashem." You didn't know what the hell I was talking about. And I said, "We're going to clean this up, and we're going to continue to make this kosher wine." And you know, so we we I think we do great work, and it's not only in Italy, in Germany also. We took over all the Riesling projects. We did the Silvaner, and I know people are very touchy about Germany and whatnot. But yeah. I used Kahana's philosophy. If Hitler knew I was drinking his premier grape. He would be rolling in his grave right now. hundred percent, and he is. And uh, he did. He he knows, and he yeah, is. And, and, he knows, and he is. And guess what? Great. Yeah. You know. Yes. Uh, and so you know, we I didn't I didn't want to kill the project. People were doing it before me. It happened to be a funny story. I'm sitting in the American Neurological Association conference next to a guy, <laughs> Mark Indig, and yep. he tells me, "What do you do?" I said, "I said I do. I said I do general urology. I I I have uh, I, I focus on kidney stones and." Um, Prostate cancer and kidney cancer are my specialties. He goes, yeah, and so I don't know. I don't know what possessed me to tell him. And I, and I make wine. He goes, I make wine too. I said, yeah, but I only do kosher premium wine. He goes, I only do kosher wine also. I said, I said, Guys, I said you must be kidding. He goes, no, my grandmother's 90. My mother is 95 years old living in Borough Park. I moved to, to um, Germany. Uh, and uh, I started the Geffen Hashalom project. And, and the guy sitting, he's a urologist, sitting in the middle of Germany. We're in the same conference. And then I invited him to America. We had lunch at, at Siena here on King's Highway. I gave him my wines. He brought me his wines. And then we took over the entire project. And to me, it's history. That's all history. I, I love, I really love his Riesling. I really love his Riesling. Yeah. Um, that's one and of that's, that's part of my rules. I always make, yes, the Van Havels. Yeah, I Van always Hovel. make a wine I that I would it. drink myself. Yeah. So it's a crazy Riesling. And I'm, and I'm not stopping. I keep going after new wineries to make new Riesling. A little bit harder in Germany, you know, for the rabbinical to move. The Mosul is not easy to get to. The Mosul, where the best Riesling is made from. Right. Yes, there are other regions. But in my in my opinion, I love the re, re, the Mosul Riesling. And even though you know we make the Sylvaner, that small green bottle, yep, um, yep, yep, yep. by by Andrea Wersching, beautiful. Bistritsky is the rabbi. He took all the hundred project. It's a beautiful project, and um, you know it makes me proud. And, and another thing besides history and everything we spoke about, I always make white wine. You know, so wherever I go, if I'm making a red, I always make. I want to make a white wine. My belief is. You can make many mistakes and the red wine become perfect. But with white wine, no chance. you need to be super talented yeah. to make something good. Yeah. You need to be super talented to make a beautiful white wine. And that's why wherever I go, um, I make a white wine, even if I'm making a red. Even in, in Amarone. So Amarone is not famous for Chardonnay. Right. But I made one. 
because he makes it. And I'm like, I'm going to make this. That Ferentano. And so that's is, what, yeah. is, Ferentano. Is, is, Ooh. We didn't even talk about that. But that's like crazy, yeah. crazy good. Ferentano is Falesco's yep. king of white. They make a lot of white wine. It's from Rosetta? But again, yes, Rosetta. So basically, Ricardo Cotarella, the yeah. father of, of um, Falesco. Now, the Falesco, by the way, is rebranded. The Falesco was originally named, talk about history, for the Faleskites of the indigenous people called the Faleskites of that area. So he named the winery Falesco. At that point, when he already decided that he's going to retire from the actual winemaking, he gave it to his son-in-law, Pierre Paolo, and he decided to do lectures, enology, which he's probably the smartest. You know, he, by the way, he even consults to Israel. He flies to Israel. He consults on many different wineries, kosher and non-kosher. And um, his passion, so to speak, was keep indigenous grapes alive. And when he was in that area, in Lazio, he realized that Lazio is perfect for Merlot because of the drainage, of the exposure. Uh, felt like it'll grow much better than um, other grapes because the heat. Remember, it's on the same plane as Rome. Right. Um, if you don't get the diurnal variation you get in Tuscany, the, the human, you know, the 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 environmental ventilation you get in Tuscany. Right. And he felt Merlot would stick out. When he was there, he realized that Rosetta was the white grape of the in area and he single-handedly saved it from extinction. Um, and that was part of my rule that if we're going to take it, we have to make the white. And so in 14, they didn't make the white, but part of my deal with them, because again, I always want to make white, always want to see their capability. And I'm a crazy white wine lover. I know. Um, I know. <laughs> we made Ferentano. Yeah, yeah. And we made Ferentano. Yeah. And, you know, I'm, I'm, I'll talk about that in a second, but we made Ferentano. You've tasted it. The wine, the aging potential is 30 years, 25 yeah. years. Yeah. Um, I think it peaks seven, eight years after. It has a beautiful floral notes, but then you get an oily texture type of wine. So it's something totally different than what you would expect. It's a wine for food. It's a wine for Chilean sea bass, Dover salt, big fish, you know, lemon sauce. You put you put you put Ferentano near it. It's out of this world. It has totally different profile. Just the weight of your tongue when you try Fer, uh, uh, Ferentano is totally than any other. It doesn't drink like a Sauvignon Blanc, and even doesn't drink like other aged. Take white Burgundy. You know how crazy I am. We made the Montrachet. We we made white Burgundy when nobody was dreaming of white Burgundy since two thousand and four, and it doesn't have the same weight. It's a special oily texture that you get, it's refreshing. So you're getting the best of both worlds. You get, you feel like you're drinking uh, something with a floral aromatic bouquet of Sauvignon Blanc with the weight of a wine that's aging on the leaves, even though it doesn't. And so I think it's a beautiful wine. It's rare wine. It's a historical wine. You know, everything that M&M, so to speak, believes in, in terms of winemaking, philosophy, history, that wine represents. Yep. And it was part of the deal. If you want you want us to save the 14, we have to make the 18, and we have to make the Ferentano, and we did. It was limited, about 1,200 bottles. You know, they, 
they, they don't have that much grapes. They have, I think the whole run is about five to 6,000 bottles. And so we took about 20% of it, and, and, and I love it. And I love it. I'm a, I'm a crazy I'm, fan of white wine. I tell you all the time. Me too. Me too. Especially, yeah. the, especially the, the, um, the ones that have real um, body to them. That was one of the things that mm -hmm. attracted me to Yakov at the very beginning. But he's making some wines now that taste like white, um, white burgundies that are just crazy. They have so much. Um, right. You remember uh, we were in Herzliya? Yeah. Remember we were in Herzliya? Yeah. We, we discussed, he said he's also Pinot. You know, yeah, we were the first Pinot ones crazy. to bring Pinot Noir. Yeah. Yeah, we we the first one to bring Pinot Noir back. Remember, the last one was uh, Pierre Medavnik's yep. uh, Chateau de la Tour, uh, two thousand and four um, Pinot Noir, and since then we stand. We met with IDS, and then uh, we made the Ajarter, and then with Nathan Hill from Ber from London, we made Demontil. Because I'm crazy about white and, and and red Burgundy, obviously the Pinot and the Chardonnay, but totally profile different you know, yeah, you and, know and that's what i do i keep just shaking the envelope that 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 um close to loons uh yeah is is just crazy and you know what's what's cool it it combines um not only sauvignon blanc but uh Semillon. Semillon. and you know yeah I, since yakov I, I always come back to Yaakov because he's he's a he's a huge mentor for me wine wise. He's grown my head in so many ways because of that. Um, the you know I was talking to uh, Josh Reinderman down in what you call down in South mm -hmm. Africa, and he Australia, makes yeah. in, in, so, I mean, South, uh, South yeah. Africa in Cape Town, and he makes a Sauvignon Blanc Semillon blend, and I said you know. Um, I've noticed something with those blends that they age incredible, incredibly. They, um, as they age, the Sauvignon Blanc recedes, and the Semillon comes out of the out of the background. That's right. That's and, right. And it's That's just right. so lovely, and it's just so special. Yeah. And those wines are yeah. because I love I love whites as I really love whites they're my favorite, but um, especially that blend when you when you put uh, Sauvignon Blanc and a Simeon it's just crazy it's just amazing to me I love it so and, and, and the wine by the way is it's, it's you had the best description that is the best description of why those Bordeaux Blancs actually age because and the ratio. The ratio of the Sauvignon to Sauvignon, right? Always it's right. more Sauvignon Blanc. Yeah. You know, 50, 50, 60, yep. 40, 70, yep. 30. The ratio of Sauvignon is the one that makes the price go up. The higher the Sauvignon, the higher the price. Yep. And the higher the aging potential. And I always yep. say it's like jumping out of an airplane. When you jump out of the plane, you need a lot of guts, you know, and, and it's Sauvignon Blanc that's in your face. And then the parachute part is the Sauvignon. It cushions <laughs> you. It, 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 it saves you. It's the one that gives it its aging potential. Um, and it flattens it out, you know? It makes it less raspy. It makes it less young and aggressive like Sauvignon Blanc. And, and that's, the, well, that's why that Bordeaux blend. Um, Claude de Lunes is very special in that way, in that you're talking about a $40 to $50 white wine with a 15-year aging potential made by a very famous family, Chevalier. 
Uh, I'll give you, uh, just as a polar extreme, Chevalier, which is second growth, probably one of the highest rate um, uh, growth wines in the kosher market. I think even Leoville is third, Ponta Cana is fifth. Obviously, Angelus, which we made, was first growth. But Chevalier's second growth, they um, they make a white wine that they're famous. In fact, in fact, Domaine de Chevalier, who owned Claude de Lunes, they're famous for their white Chevalier wine. Even in the non-kosher world, it's $150 at its best rate. So you can imagine how much the kosher is going to cost. And they make a 60-40 uh, Sauvignon Blanc, Semignon, huge aging potential, huge history. Um, and it's probably one of the, if it is probably, I can say this undoubtedly, the best kosher white wine for aging ever made. Um, it's like the Rolls Royce of Semignon, Sauvignon Blanc blend. And they're those same ones who make Claude de Lunes. So they're so going to cause con- conscience. So they have. We're going to convince them to make a kosher wine. We have it. Oh, you, I didn't even know you have it. Very limited, a hundred bottles. Yeah, we Whoa. made the red. We made the red, and the white just came in. Wait a second. Hold on. We got to negotiate online here. Yeah. I, I need. I need some <laughs> of that. I really need some of that before yes. all the Syrian guys grab that from you. Please, please yes, save me at uh, least a, uh, a few bottles, please. Yes, there was because, only about a hundred bottles that oh we brought God. in. Okay, um, it's a, it's a, it, it is the, <laughs> it's the, it's the premier Bordeaux blend. It's um, if you look at the picture that you saw yesterday of us, yep. it's in the picture. Wow. Um, wow. But you know what? You know, I, I got to tell you, and then this is we make a. You know, I, I hate when I do these kind of things, like either you know, magazines or this. We're premium. There's no doubt. Right. But there's a wine for everybody. You know, you want a cheap burgundy? Go to my Sicily Tirsat. It's Chardonnay yep. Viognier mix. Ages on the lees. It's a beautiful Sicilian white that you can enjoy. You don't want to pay for a Sincere $75, $90? Our nest is 25 bucks, Right. And it has the same profile. So we have a price for every point. What I try to do is when I make a famous Pinot, I make a less Pinot. Same thing, Alessandro Celai, who makes Castellare, he trained in Burgundy. He's crazy about Burgundy. So what did he do? He played Italian Tuscan Pinot, and we have it for $36, $42. It's a beautiful expression of Pinot Noir that is totally like anything else, and you can enjoy it if you can't afford a Burgundy, and that's the key. I don't want anybody not to be able to enjoy wine because of money. I want everybody to have a historical connection to it, uh, I love to push the white envelope. Um, and just like you should know that a lot of things on the horizon, you know, you know about Super Tuscans, which is basically reds that are Sangiovese 50 percent minimum. Yeah. And then they do Cab, Merlot, Petit Verdot, all the French varietals. Those are yeah. called Super Tuscans. Yeah. Well, there's a whole world of Super Whites that nobody knows about on the Alto Adige Slovenia border, which we are. This close to closing a deal. Beautiful whites. Whites that command the same price as reds. People have to stop looking at white wine as, yeah. ah, this is cheap. Uh, you, if you can't afford a red, you buy a white. There are white wines that cost much more than reds. I, and there are white wines that score and, and are, that they score and they behave better than reds. 
You know, white wine is a love. It's a passion. It's not made to be red. It's not made to be um, compete with a red. It's just a white. totally different. And, it's and just I think a totally that's what I'm trying yeah. to. Yeah. 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 yeah, it is. Doc, I could talk to you all night. But I, I, I'm, I I'm very I cognizant of the time I've asked you for here. And I really, I yeah, adore you um, and your family. You're, you're an awesome person. I thank you very much for all the time you've given me. And I really, I really look forward to coming back to, uh, to New York. But I, I, more, I more enjoy you coming here to Jerusalem. So that's, thank you. Is that the same? And I, oh, I just want to say you're yeah. a big sadik. No, you're and, a And um, I'll you're never just... forget every time I go to my, my mother's grave and we it's need a minyan, you yeah. go and nah. you help and you and you didn't. So I share, my mother is upstairs <laughs> making sure that I stick to the good people. I'm very... Uh, and I appreciate that. I never forget that. Y- your family is really special. I got a chance this last time to really see your sisters. and your, I met your father before in the middle of COVID with all of the craziness. But um, Baruch Hashem, it's really, uh, really pleasure to know you. And I thank you very much for all the time and also for all the wine. Not just the time, but the wine, because I'm really enjoying it. So thank you. Thank you, Ralph. I love thank you very you, Doctor. much. All right. Shalom Bracha. Blessings Bye-bye. from Jerusalem. Shalom Bracha. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.